Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Spartan Forge. On today's episode, I am joined by Ohio bow hunter Byron Horton of the Whitetail Experience. Byron hunts the big woods of Ohio and is always putting out great YouTube content surrounding hunts and gear. We discuss how to keep your feet warm in the stand, some DIY hip waders, getting into big woods hunting, narrowing down your hunting spots, summer shooting practices, B minus camera placement, budget versus high end trail cameras, and then also how Byron will transition into hunting season and much more. 100% born in the Appalachian Mountains and made in the USA, Timber Ninja Outdoors provides a range of mobile hunting options to accommodate diverse hunting preferences. Whether you prioritize comfort, lightweight design, or versatility, their two-panel and single-panel saddles collection has something for everyone. The Black Belt Nano is the lightest single-panel saddle available on the market, weighing in under a pound. The saddle is designed with the minimalist hunter in mind, focusing on lightweight functionality and breathability. One notable feature is the patent-pending magnetic stick clip system on the side, which allows for convenient transportation of sticks up the tree, as well as a built-in platform holder. The Nano Saddle can be folded up to the size of a Nalgene bottle, enabling easy portability. With a four-way stretch material on the back for a comfortable fit, as well as strategically placed padding for hip pinch relief. You can use code EASTMEETSWEST to get free shipping on any Timber Ninja order. If you try it out and don't like it, send it back within 30 days for a full refund. Learn more at TimberNinjaOutdoors.com and sign up for their email newsletter for exclusive discounts and product drops. When it comes to optics, I get the same question over and over again. What are the best all-around binoculars? Well, it's tough to find something that works in every condition great, but after using a pair of Maven B1.2 10x42s, I think I found them. They feature an 8x or a 10x option, superior low light performance, tack sharp edge to edge clarity, a generous depth of field, and a silky focus mechanism. All of Maven Optics have a lifetime no fault warranty and hail from the great state of Wyoming. I've been using Maven Optics since I bought my first pair in 2017, and I think you should test them out for yourself. Head over to mavenbuilt.com and use the code EASTMEETSWEST-GIFT for a free gift with any full price optics order. For all of those that want a truck bed cover for work or play, Diamondback makes the top of the line heavy duty covers that help you do more with your truck. They're perfect for the truck owning, avid sportsmen, outdoor enthusiasts, and weekend project warriors. I'm currently using the HD cover that can is capable of holding up to 1,600 pounds on the top. And then I have the Yakima overhaul HD bars on top so I can put my rooftop tent on it. When I'm not using my rooftop tent and able to use the trifold design of the Diamondback, I have the Crossbin 8 in there to organize all of my stuff in the back of my truck bed. Diamondback is made right here in Phillipsburg, Pennsylvania. If you want to check them out, head over to diamondbackcovers.com. If you've wanted that hunting camp tradition that we talk about, that experience, but you don't have a hunting camp of your own, you're welcome to come stay at my hunting camp up here in the Pennsylvania wilds called the Elk Crossing Getaway in the PA wilds. So if you go over to Airbnb, you can check out 
are three bedroom, one and a half bath house that's right in the heart of Pennsylvania elk country. It's only minutes away from a bunch of public land to be able to hunt, hiking trails, outdoor recreation, fishing, all of those things there. The house is completely fully stocked with everything that you need to be able to, to spend a week hunting deer, taking your family up to see the elk, anything like that. So if you head over to Airbnb and search Elk Crossing Getaway in the PA Wilds, you'll find my listing there and you can rent out my house to send us a message and inquiry that you're interested in it and mention that you heard it on the podcast here, then we'll get you 10% off of your first day. On this week's Mountain Buck Monday story of the week, this one comes from Steve Myers out of Pennsylvania. And if you want to check out Steve's buck and the photo and also the story of this hunt, you can go over to East Meets West Hunt on Instagram or East Meets West Outdoors on Facebook and check out the photos of this awesome buck that Steve shot. So Steve wrote, on November 6, 2021, I shot a beautiful 10 point with my crossbow at 8 a.m., my nicest buck to date, and I'm 54 years young. It wasn't until just a few years ago I started following channels like yours and actually put into practice the things I've learned from them. Before, it was just going to the same place and doing the same thing, and we all know what that produces, the same result, which was oftentimes nothing or just a mediocre buck. Two years after employing strategies and tactics as you teach on your, teach on your YouTube channel and podcast, and boom, look at this guy. It's from mapping to boots on the ground to set up and finally hunting the right days. It was an awesome journey and the reward was a beautiful whitetail buck, but I do have to say the journey was the best part. Learning what this guy was doing and when. I'm grateful for your channel and finally someone from the mountains of Pennsylvania that knows how to hunt mountain bucks. <laughs> well, thank you for the the kind words there, Steve. And uh, you you definitely put in the work and got it done. I didn't do anything there other than help put out information and get people on that that uh, know how to do some of this stuff. And I'm glad that that you were able to take that and and be able to apply it to your own journey. And I'm sure that you'll uh, continue to to get it done year after year. So if you're interested in sending your story in, send it over to Bo at eastmeetswesthunt.com. So send it in my email there. Just a short paragraph and a couple photos that you have. Would love to be able to share them. All right, another news, high altitude, the the mountain or excuse me, the mule deer film uh is now live on my YouTube channel. So under my channel is just Bo Martonic. Look it up. High altitude's the name of it. It's Colorado High Country Mule Deer Hunt film. And this one's a lot different than some of the other films that that I've come out with to this point. Uh Justin crushed it with the edit as always. But it's not just, you know, a full like your traditional hunting film where it's just going through day by day what we did on the hunt. A lot of it is was intended to teach about altitude sickness and be become aware of, of altitude sickness and what you can do to prevent it and make sure that you're safe when you go out west, especially if you're coming from the east, the Midwest, somewhere that's not in the mountains. Altitude is real. It's uh, it's nothing to be afraid of, but it's something to be aware of and make sure that you're taking the, the right precautions to, to make sure you didn't end up like I did on that hunt. So uh, I hope you check it out and be able to see the beautiful buck that my cousin Mason killed on that, 
that hunt on opening day there. But uh, I hope you like it. And if you do, leave a comment on the YouTube channel and um, like it, subscribe. Man, that helps out so much. I'd really do appreciate that from everybody. And then just lastly, the Prime Bow giveaway. So this is the last week. Um, I don't have the exact date here when that's ending in front of me, but it's the beginning of next week that that'll end. And uh, giving away the Prime inline three. So sign up for the email list on my website, eastmeetswesthunt.com. That's the first way to get entered. Subscribe and leave a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you do that, just make sure you leave your name in that review. That'll get you entered another entry. And then lastly, I'll be adding an additional way to enter on social media. It's actually, it should be live by the time this goes out. But uh, make sure you're following at East Meets West Hunt on Instagram and at bow.martonic on Instagram uh, for more information on how you can get entered in and have, you know, even more chances thrown into the mix there. So anyways, I'm looking forward to, to being able to give that bow away. It's the exact replica of the one that I'll be using out west this year, Prime Inline 3. And uh, yeah, it's a sweet shooting bow, so can't wait to be able to send that to to one lucky winner all right with that being said i hope that everyone has a great week and as always feel free to send in suggestions for podcast topics or things you want to see any guests you want me to talk to Uh, i'd I'd love it and um, all feedback good bad ugly it's all welcomed and i do appreciate it so have a great week and uh, we'll talk to you next week all right, we're live. Byron Horton, welcome to the show, buddy. Hey, Bo. Thanks for having me. Big fan of your podcast and, and you as a brand. So uh, excited to talk some whitetails. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm excited to have you on too. I've been following, uh, well, your podcast, Whitetail Experience, and your YouTube channel specifically um, just for, I don't know, how many years now. And you and I have talked back and forth on Instagram and whatever else uh, through a period of time, and and I'm really excited to get to get the chat with you a little bit. And so you you live in Ohio, correct? Yeah, yeah. Is that where you grew up? Yeah, so I grew up a uh, city kid, Columbus, Ohio, like the capital or whatever. And then um, kind of got introduced to hunting late. I think uh, I was 17, 18, got invited to a uh, a real good piece of property for a deer camp with a cabin on it, like very. Uh, a uh, very plush introduction. Yeah. Oh, that's, and then that's the, awesome. <laughs> a year later, there was a rude awakening, public land, 30 pound climber. And, 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 but man, I was bit by the bug. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's pretty cool. Um, with you growing up in Ohio, like there's so many different opportunities to hunt, like different types of country. I mean, you can hunt farm country, you can hunt swamps, you can hunt big woods, you can hunt mountains. It's just like Ohio is a really cool state from that standpoint for, uh, being able to have so many different options. I mean, I started hunting Ohio in 2014 and started in the big woods stuff. And then I hunted a piece of private ground, a 50 acre farm country land for a couple of years. I hunted some swamps and like it's I just I love Ohio it's pretty sweet I mean it's definitely a a lot more people um than even when when I first started there which uh probably because of podcasts like this but no it's uh it's uh it's still it's still a really cool place to hunt yeah that that is my one complaint is like population density and like number of roads in our state is is so much higher than than even the surrounding states um 
it's it's you're you're not as vast as far as like uh, landscapes are concerned. Like there is, I think the biggest section in Ohio without roads is like a mile by like two, and like our our density of people is kind of high. And that's my that's my knock. I think a lot of the the rules and regs and the late gun season. I think a lot of that stuff bodes well for whitetails, but. Um, that is that is a complaint of mine is is just a lot of people. Yeah, that's that's so true too. I, I guess I never looked at like the the roadless pieces and how much in between it, but I know like even when I'm in some of the the rugged areas of Ohio and some of the big woods areas, it's it's difficult to to get away from people. I mean, there's some some really good caliber deer, but it's um it's it's a game of trying to trying to outsmart the people, I guess, more than even the deer. I think. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, that's cool. So give a little background on whitetail experience, what it is and you know, why you kind of started that. Yeah. So that's been going now for, I think six ish years. And it kind of started as like a couple guys, uh, Andy was underneath Dave's truck working on it. And those are kind of like the two other, like I'll call like main faces. We have a couple other guys that film as well now, but like we're like, all right, let's let's try and film our hunts. Uh, Dave, in particular, had knocked down a couple better uh, public land bucks. We were big friends of Whitetail Adrenaline, and we're like, we want to be like a web show, like a TV show uh, based around like kind of more realistic, uh, you know, some small piece, but mainly uh, public land. And then it just kind of morphed, and in some aspects, has gone backwards, and and we kind of narrowed the niche to, to being more of a YouTube channel, um, and, and doing more YouTube centered content. Um, fast forward a couple of years, like I've had some buck films out there. I myself do some, some editing and some web show work for like lone wolf custom gear, whitetail addictions, XOP. So like my films are a little bit more, I don't know, better shot, uh, better produced, but the YouTube channel kind of took off in, in, in a route that, that is more of a, a YouTube centered brand. Uh, we do a podcast, but like that may go out once to three times a month. It's not as regular. It's more just an extension. And, you know, it's, it's been a, a cool ride and a cool experience and, and super blessed to, to, to be what we're doing today, essentially. Yeah, no, I, I think it's cool. I've been I've been following along, like you said, for I don't know. I, I lose track of time anymore as far as if it's been two years or five years or whatever it's been. But uh, uh, I've been following along for a while, and and I the the first thing that I notice is the the film quality is extremely high, and you guys do really well like i love watching the films you put out and then just even like the short stuff that you do for social media and everything it's it's very highly produced i'll, I'll put it that way i'm jealous of your abilities to uh to put that stuff together that's for sure no i appreciate that and and, and i will say like we dave and andy and like some of the other guys that film part-time they've gone like backwards in the camera world and a production standpoint, because we realized that like, if I shoot a buck, it's going to be a cinematic piece. That's what I'm into. I like my cameras. I, I, I geek out on production, but like Dave's funny in front of the camera. So why not utilize his skill set to be funny and witty? And so like, if he shoots a buck this year, it'll be a little bit different feel and vibe to, to his, his, his film. But uh, I, I do appreciate you, you touching on uh, the, the production quality. Yeah, no, I, I think it's cool. And I, I also enjoy like the, the, the DIY like gear stuff and everything that you do. And uh, like 
for example, you you and I were uh, texting back and forth, and we were talking, and you were talking about one of your most popular videos about your the sock thing, and explain that because so I think us as whitetail hunters, the number one thing that's a complaint that I feel like no one has really solved is like cold feet, and you know when you're hunting you know, really anything that you have to walk a distance. I personally can't wear rubber boots and my feet sweat too much. Then my feet get cold. Um, so then you wear a lighter hiker or something that breathes a little better, but still you get in those cold temperatures, it, your feet get cold. And I've, you know, been through a ton of different options. The current option that I've been using is a company called hot mocks that went out of business like 10 years ago. And they're just a slipper that you put a hand warmer in. And I've really liked them, but they're not very durable. They don't, uh, they don't do well, um, in, in a lot of situations, but that's been kind of the thing that doesn't have a lot of bulk to it. And then the other options that are out there, the icebreakers and, and those other types of, uh, methods there, they're, they're uh, bulky and like they're difficult, especially hunting out of a saddle. It just feels like my feet are cluttered all the time. And so explain a little bit about what, what you found to, to work for you and something that, that I plan on trying. Yeah. So, so uh, every, every hunter has a pair of old hiker socks and uh, this technique kind of came about because we were wearing a lot of hiker boots um, and, and covering distance. And it's like, you get to your tree stand now the thought is take a hiker sock, cut it roughly about the heel um, area. You only need one. And that's essentially going to be the mitten you put over your boot once you get to, to your hunting height and in your stand or your saddle. And we were like, first year we tried it, five of us, guys in climbers, guys in, in stand and sticks, guys in saddle, we're like, is this really working? And it, it, because I went on the first hunt and I was like, guys, like my feet are, are warm. This is ridiculous how much this is working on a 30-ish degree morning. And the the I guess you're adding some insulation, but you're also separating your toe box from your metal tree stand, which just holds all that cold energy or whatever that transfers right into the boot. And the fact that we first thought it was a placebo effect, but then when six guys go out within a week period and they're like, dude, this is a game changer. Um, now obviously you can stuff a hand warmer in there to make it even better. Um, the socks pack super nice. It rolls up just like you would a light pair of gloves. So that's a huge win for, for kind of our style. Um, now I will say once you probably get a sub 20, maybe like a late season hunt where it is cold, cold for, for multiple hours, like I would maybe transition to those Arctic shields, um, that, that, like you said, they just don't pack as good, um, a little noisier, but, but for a rut, Midwest, temperatures 20, 30 degrees in the morning, maybe gets up to 40, 50 in the afternoon. Like that was a game changer to, to kind of prevent your toes from going cold. Yeah, I think that's I think that's so awesome. And, and it's funny because I've tried so many different methods. And I've, almost, I've also tried to like, and I'll say this publicly because I can't figure it out. But I was trying to come out with like a product of myself to be able to do it. I've tried like with even putting insulation on the platforms, like, you know, like foam down and everything just to get you that separation between that cold metal stand and your boots. I mean, I think that's where a lot of it comes from is that. And like, you know, you, the, the bigger socks that you put on in your boots, then you cut off, you know, the circulation, and the breathability of the, one of the biggest things that I've come to learn about warmth is air is a big thing. Like having space, having yeah. able to breathe helps like by stuffing this, you know, giant wool sock into a tight boot, 
you're not really helping yourself any, but putting something on the outside there, uh, I, I think that's such a, a cool method. And, you know, you can go in kind of light, breathable. You're not sweating your ass off while your feet are still warm, be able to capture that heat with that sock over the top. So I, I think that's, I think that's pretty cool that you did that. I recommend anybody go check out that, that video. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good one. Yeah. And the other one that I wanted to bring up was just the, I think it's really recent was the video about the, the DIY hip waders, um, using contractor bags. So I've, I've carried hip waders in sound like, like you have in the past. And one, typically what happens is they dry rot in my garage and then I get out and they end up leaking the first time I go to use them. And it's like, you know, a 25 degree morning and you know, it's just, a mess and I carry my other boots across and I change in into them. Uh, and, and I was, and then, so explain a little bit about what you have found and if you think that it would work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I was, um, it, it, I remember I heard about somebody using contractor bags to, to, uh, cross a Creek from Jason Sam Koviak. And I was scouting this, this spring I pulled in and it, you know, it's a 30, 40 degree morning in the Creek I wanted to cross like I had my hiker boots and I didn't bring my hip waders. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I would kill for just some trash bags in my truck or whatever, just because the, the Creek's right off the parking lot. Uh, it's not very far in. And I, I was like, you know, maybe I'll test that out. So sure enough, like uh, last week or whatever, I shot the video. I, I, I went down to my local pond through these contractor bags on that cost me, I think 13 bucks delivered. And, and you get like, I don't know, 20 of them in a, in a, in the box. So not very expensive. And I had my doubts. I said, maybe these, these will work a little like, okay ish, but uh, sure enough, I, they, they, they worked. Like I was able to run around in, in the, the pond for, I don't know, 10 minutes or whatever, kind of testing a few ways to hold them a few ways to maybe like, uh, should I double up the bags? Um, are they going to leak over time? I stepped on a few rocks on purpose, trying to see if I could tear them. And like kind of came to the conclusion that one, these pack way better than, than hip waders. Uh, they're more affordable. And, and, and if you ever had to cross a Creek, let's say walk a regular mile in the woods or half mile and then cross the Creek. Like I would definitely rather have these. Cause when you get to the Creek, I don't have to take my hiker boot off, put on the hip waders, walk across, re tie up and lace up my boot and then go for my hunt. I could literally have these contractor bags in a, in a pocket, get to the Creek, put, them on over my current hiker boot, cross the Creek and then be on my way. Like a little bit of time efficiency, packability was better. So like going into this season, I have two, two areas that if I think a good one's in there, I'm going to use these contractor bags to cross, cross the, the Creek or streams. Um, may not use them if you had to like wade like a hundred yards down, like a Creek bank and like slip up into a stand. Like, yeah. I don't yeah. think they're good for that. Um, yeah, but, but those like quick, those quick, you know, the 20, foot wide, you know, streams that you come across and stuff. I mean, I, you know, and I've done that where I've even tried rubber boots and it gets like just to the top and like, you're like any rain, you're not sure if you can make it across. And, and, uh, you know, for most things, I just use my, my hiker boots and gaiters that'll get me across very shallow ones and, you know, hop across rocks. But honestly, I think that's, that's such, such something so easy that you can put in your pack. And also if you're somebody that packs out meat, um, it can double as throwing your meat in it, um, to not have your pack get covered in blood or whatever. If you just want to throw oh, it inside the main yeah, bag, that's, brilliant. that's, that's a brilliant extra, extra ad. And, yeah. um, dual purpose. Yeah, 
Yeah, dual purpose. So, so, so even if you had them in your truck or whatever all season, because um, I don't. I, sometimes I hunt, you know, hour or two away, so I don't know if it rained necessarily there. If we had some scattered over um, thunderstorms overnight, like that creek could be fully flooded, and I'd be unaware. And I get to the piece, I'm like, wait a minute, it's it's pretty. I'm gonna I'm gonna need those over a hiker uh, boot or whatever that morning. That's a that's a good call. I'm like I said, I'm full send come this season on them. Yeah, you know, because I, I bought when I went to Alaska, they said to bring some uh, uh, waders, and I was trying to find the cheapest option possible. And everyone recommended these wiggies that go over your boots, um, but they were like ninety bucks. So I found a knockoff brand for like thirty or thirty-five that were the same type of thing. They packed down relatively small, but still, they were uh, they didn't have like a, a sole on the bottom or anything. They just kind of went over the top, but. Um, I didn't end up using them in Alaska. Then I came back and, and you may remember, um, the, the long haul, uh, film that I had where I was dragging that deer out with Johnny across the, the it was a river basically. And yeah. so I gave them to Johnny cause they were in my truck and I just went across and well, they leaked on him. So it didn't even, it didn't even, it was, I'd never even used them and they were, they leaked. So it was like, all right, this that wasn't that great. And they literally felt like trash bags. Like they were not. Oh, geez. Yeah. So I'm like, I could have really went cheaper and, uh, found some other options there. So that's, that's, uh, that's pretty neat. I, I like that. I love when I find people that like, just like, just ask, you know, find these problems and be like, what can I do to, to be able to fix it? Cause all of us come across these things at one point or another. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like, I try to gauge like if I'll truly hunt with some sort of knickknack gadget thing. Cause like you see a lot of the guys that have these crazy cool climbing methods and get like 75 feet with like one stick. And I'm like, well, what if there's like a briar patch that I'm setting up in and like, I, I could never see being able to like throw like the DRT method over a stick in the dark being a real fun method for, for myself. Yeah. So, so when I, when I find these hacks, I'm like, could I really hunt like this? Maybe I should hunt like this before putting a YouTube video out. Cause some of that stuff comes up uh, if you're truly in that pursuit. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, I, I can understand that quite a bit. And, and I, the, the whole one sticking method. Um, so I've been, I've watched Carl from Tether do it like a hundred times. And he's like, you got, he's like, it's really easy. And I'm like, I don't know, man. I just, maybe, you know, maybe it'll take me a while to get to try it, but I just, I haven't, uh, haven't been fully invested into some of those different things yet. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, There is a, I think there's a fine line. Everybody knows what may work for them in their own hunting sense. Yeah. And, and with hell with that, and there's so many different, brands out there making such lightweight sticks and everything anymore it's like my sticks weigh four pounds for four of them it's like okay this it's really not that much extra weight i have that much in food and coffee in my bag anyway so whatever (laughs) yeah dude it's funny i mailed uh i mailed out an outer layer i sold you know last year's outer layer uh recently and i i went to ups and and sure enough the box and like bibs and a jacket weighed eight pounds and i'm like how is it like my stand, my tree stand I hunt out of is lighter than my outer layer of clothes. And so I was like, it's crazy how much I, I feel like all the stand and stick combos are, are within striking distance of each other, plus or minus. But like, you don't think about all the BS that's in your pack and, and your outer layers being such a, a weight uh, Nazi, if you will, but they're, 
they're heavier than people think. Yeah, I yeah, I I totally totally agree with that. Like my my pack weighs more than it should. Uh, most of the time, I like to take a lot of things in with me. Usually, clothes, food, sna- yeah, food is. I, there's a good amount of weight in food and and uh, thermos with coffee in it, extra water. Like I mean, it's just like. I'm I'm all in on comfort when it goes to especially sitting all day during the rut. I'll take a little bit extra weight from that front. Yeah. Cut it where I can, cut it where I can and but the, some of those comfort items I haven't uh, been able to get rid of them yet. <laughs> yeah, there was um uh Dave went on a hunt a couple years ago and crossed this creek and shot this deer or whatever and he's like, "Dude, I don't think I've ever had a pack weigh so much cuz he took a couple extra sticks cuz where he was going he was going to have to get way up there." And uh, he weighed his pack after the hunt. I think it was 48 pounds. I swear Dave and I went out West last year and we we're running around the mountains with like 45 to 50 pound bags. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, you literally had more on your back for that whitetail hunt. Um, than, than you did in the mountains like wild. Yeah, it is. It's, it's funny. I, I, um, I really cursed myself last year when I was hunting in New York because I was, I was just like never been there before and I was scouting and I had my, my sticks and my saddle and all my gear that could, I could potentially get into. It was in rain. So I had rain gear and I had outer layers and, you know, puffy gear and everything, you know, I'm, I'm getting in there and, uh, uh, I ended up shooting that buck off the ground and then I quartered him up and was packing him out. And I was on this like really steep hill and I didn't want to come back up. So I ended up packing the whole deer out at one time with all my stuff. And it was like, I fell twice and like, couldn't get up because I was just like, so <laughs> top heavy. <laughs> so, so, so did you pack a whole whitetail out one trip? Yeah. I so, did. so I packed out on my second buck last year and, uh, I elected to, so I shot him and I had a, uh, a stand with me with two, uh, two climbing sticks. So I left my stand. I took my sticks in my like hunting bag of the day, got back to the truck, grabbed my like frame bag or whatever, and then came back. And I elected to go 50 pounds on the, on the, the, the 1.0 and 50 pounds in, on my Kuyu. I just kind of would walk 400 meters, come back. And that, that little break there, I've always said, if I, sh- if I shoot one solo, I'm built to go twice. You know, I'm not the, yeah. the biggest dude. I'm much more built like a like a runner swimmer, and so like I can move really well with like 50 pounds. You put like close to 100 on me, like I, I, I'd break. It's not the smartest method to w- way I did it, and it was, and and that's usually like the route I would go is packing a whitetail out in two loads. But I was just like, okay. I I had I had my um I had my sick mountain hauler pack, which is one of my western packs on, and I was just like it was, it was raining, it was pouring down rain and, you know, it's getting close to dark at that point. And I was like, screw it. Let me just see if I can get this all out in one load. And if I can't, I'll drop meat and keep going. Well, I just decided to keep doing it. And it was all downhill, which honestly is, uh, have you ever wanted to have Levi Morgan, Andy May, Johnny Stewart, and others available at all times? Well, you can with Cyber Scout from Spartan Forge. Cyber Scout is like the chat GPT for outdoors men and women. You can ask it any questions related to bow building, scouting, hunting, survival, and a whole lot more. I think you'll be impressed with how it responds. Cyber Scout is currently out now for a select group of early beta testers and will be available to the rest of you really soon. The entire app is a complete tool for planning your hunt with incredible aerial imagery mapping, journaling, deer prediction, and some of the most accurate and detailed weather data. 
Use the code EASTMEETSWEST to save 20%. And if you're still on the fence, give the 14-day free trial a chance at SpartanForge.ai. CVA has been America's number one selling muzzleloader brand for over a decade. Hunting with a muzzleloader opens up a ton of hunting opportunities across the U.S., and I've been using the Acura series. But they don't only make badass muzzleloaders. Their line of centerfire rifles are great quality and not terrible on the wallet. The Cascade short barrel is ideal for tight quarters, deer drives, and quick shots in the big woods. You can check out their line of muzzleloaders, rifles, and accessories for every season and every range at bpioutdoors.com slash CVA. If you use the code EASTMEETSWEST10, you'll get 10% off of all CVA products, which includes rifles, muzzleloaders, and accessories is harder on my knees than anything like and i wish i had tracking poles with me that would have helped uh helped a lot but i never carried tracking poles on a whitetail hunt so it's, it's you know i don't expect to have you know upwards of 100 pounds on my back at that point but i was i was feeling that one for for a little while luckily it wasn't a big whitetail so like it uh it's it's different it wasn't like a you know a 225 pound mature buck it was a, a two-year-old uh that i don't even know what he weighed but not not that much so sure so, sure so that definitely that definitely made uh made a difference there but so i i question for you how how did you get it you know you said you started with like hunting you know your first hunting experience was in like this plush like bougie lodge how did you get into the style of hunting you, you have now and hunting a lot of big woods a lot of public land type stuff yeah so um yeah i started on that that uh 120 acres in Coshocton county um, which if you know, Ohio, that is one of the meccas yep. and, uh, the, my best friend from high school, his dad bought some good ground out there and, and, uh, four wheel pass and, and pre-hung sets. That was great. Uh, saw a lot of deer and, and, and was bit by the bug. So the year two, I buy a hundred dollar field and stream climber. Um, I had a, a, a 27 inch draw bow with it, which I shoot like 30, um, you know, single cam from, 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 uh, I think it was a Morton. And, uh, you know, I, I started hunting some public land by myself and I actually shot a deer, my very first hunt on public land. Now I used to squirrel hunt back in the day. So I scout, like I would just find deer while squirrel hunting. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was like, I, I remember I was hunting this, this little, uh, uh, mature timber between a thicket or two. And I, I say, seen a couple of deer cross this Creek in a certain spot. I said, well, that's where I'll be opening day of bow season. Um, I played a soccer game in, in, in the rain that day and it stopped raining. I was like, dude, the woods are going to explode. And sure enough, like I, I go in there with my climber and like, I probably get eight foot off the ground and the bottom half is angled downward, if you will. Uh, Cause I just didn't know any better. Nobody had taught me and ended up shooting a deer and finding it the next morning. And, you know, I, I stumbled around some of the public land for the next couple of years, more in farm country setting in college. And then right as I was graduating, I started going to like the big woods of Ohio and fell in love with just the vastness. Um, you can go over hillsides. And back in that time, you had a, I bought a hockey pucks looking GPS from Bushnell that all it did was mark your truck tell you the direction and how many yards or miles that you were from it so oh you're the backtracker yeah yes yes That's, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. It looked like a hot literally i'd mark my my truck because i got lost a, a one other time in, in farm country i got turned around whatever but uh i lost a couple times actually back in the day yeah me too uh, these these guys these days man they got it made 
Yeah, I know that, that it's it, it is funny. Like I had one of those back trackers, and then I went to the Garmin. Like uh, I can't remember what the first one I had was, and then I went to the Garmin Oregon, um, which was like touchscreen. So that thing was like you know, you know, it was the best of the best at that time. Like to be able to use and and you know now it's it's funny. Everything's right on my phone. I I pull up you know Spartan Forge. I can download the offline maps. I can go in. I can switch between aerial and hybrid and topo and all. It's if I get lost now, I did something really wrong. Yeah, your phone might have died if you get lost now. Like yeah. So so we yeah I had to backtrack. The other thing we used to do that was kind of funny is we'd use like Google Maps or um, Hunt Stand was available back in the day, and we would we would grab like a public land map, right? And we would measure the scale, right? So you'd grab your ruler and knew the scale. Okay, so this line is 2,000 feet long straight north. So we would we would go onto hunt stand and we would draw because you had a, a measure tool on hunt stand. So we would hand draw in these public lands or spots that we were hunting on, on or Google Earth. You could also lay down lines and measure them. Yeah. So we would like hand draw, like rough sketch out the public and then go scout. And we could never leave pins, but we kind of knew if we were on the public or not. Cause back in then those days you weren't a hundred percent. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like I said, I started, you know, falling in love with kind of the, the bigger woods, bigger pursuit, um, though, just the landscape. I felt like I was escaping from it all. Um, you know, Dave and I kind of linked up. We went to the same college and, and we played a little basketball together there. That's kind of like my right-hand man at Whitetail Experience. And then um, post-college, we, we found the Hill Country Bucks DVD by the Blood Brothers that had like Infault, Aquisto, uh, Jared Aridotti. And we would do like deer and beer night, like sometimes maybe on a Tuesday. Uh, I would <laughs> drive down to his house. We'd stare at Topos, have that thing playing. And like just drink beers and I'd get up the next morning and go to work, you know, yeah. we're 22, 24 years old. Um, and, and, and really the last couple of years, you know, I've, I've kind of done the thing where I'm walking 70 miles in the off season ish, a couple more miles now during Turkey. And it's like, you know, it's a full pursuit and, 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 uh, been able to knock down some better bucks here in the last couple of years and, and, uh, just ate up with it. Yeah, I, I think that I think that's so cool. And I, I think that's what I loved too so much about like the big woods style of hunting is like it is a it's a year round approach and you never run out of land to walk. So it's like you're always learning and you can go wherever and like like I don't talk about it much. I don't I'm not knocking farm country. It's just for me when I would do it, it was kind of boring from the standpoint of like I'd walk the land in one day scouting, like in the spring. And that was kind of it. I'd put cameras up or whatever, but like, it's just like a constant, like moving and learning and learning trees and learning what they're feeding on and trying to just understand how these deer are using that landscape and, and, you know, failing 99% of the time and just like, you know, looking for that 1% that's like, just, you know, caps it all off, I guess. But like, it's just you gotta love and which I, that's why I love. I think it was your film last year that came out for your buck from 2020. Um, talking about just that, that pursuit, like, and, and you said that, like, that is the thing, like that pursuit is what, what drives me to it. It sounds like it drives you to it. It's like, you gotta love that process. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. Like, I like the fact that, uh, you can go walk new, like, other big wood sections and it takes you a while to kind of learn them. And I've cut a few bucks like off a couple different pieces. Cause I like, I think learning new stuff and breaking it down 
Um, and then, you know, I did have a little bit of a, a like an Andy May type thought after last year. So I, I just, so I've gone on a streak where I've killed like three big woods bucks in a row. And I'm like, maybe next year I, I hunt the farm country, um, you know, just to, to try and, cause I want to be a well-rounded guy, I think. Yep. Um, but then I pulled some cams and, uh, no, I can't, I, I, I have, <laughs> I have two to three that, that I need to, uh, uh, figure out if they're back or not, um, in the big woods. So, so, uh, you know, that's, that's just part of the game. Yeah. <laughs> I, I totally get it, man. I, that's like this one spot I have that I've been hunting it since 2015 and I've killed a decent amount of bucks out of it, but one, I hate it. Cause it's like, it's relatively flat and I struggle in those areas more than stuff that I have trained. And it's just like big woods. And, and the only time I've been able to kill anything in there is, uh, I guess I killed one during gun season. The rest have been during the rut. And I'm like, I really want to figure out this early season thing more. And I just can't, I struggle with it. And, and these bucks just like, they cover some serious ground there. Like I had one buck that I was hunting that anybody listens to podcast for years has heard about this deer called Hercules that I hunted for four years that I shot one year and he got, I wounded him basically and he got away and, and he, I had him on camera and one day covering three miles, um, during the rut. And it was, anyways, it's a difficult place to hunt, but every time I run, just, you know, I'm going to throw one camera in there just to see. And then sure enough, that gets me excited makes me want to keep going back in there. Uh, when I'm trying to, you know, exit that strategy. So I can, I can relate to that. Do you, so, so I have also in the last couple, uh, let's call it five, six years realized that I used to have all these places I wanted to be. And I have found that it's not the best strategy for me is, is more to cast, um, to narrow my nets, if you will. Like I have a, a few chunks. I, I, I think five years ago I was spreading myself too thin where I was wanting to hunt like a lot of pieces of ground. And I now more cast a few nets on like, say a, a few pieces and almost then start really narrowing that circle into the highest percentage during the rut. Um, is that something that, that, that you're like, Hey, I'm going to walk away from this piece because I need to narrow my scope. And then you're like, Oh, wait a minute. I, I, I literally pulled a couple cams and then I found a match set of like mid thirties, eight, what's he going to be next year? A stud. And I'm like, I was literally going to walk away from this piece. Like, I was like, no, I need to concentrate on just two pieces or two area. You know, I was like, I need to narrow. And then it just, ah, maybe I'm going to run over there a little bit. I go on a cycle with it. So like, it's like, for me, it's, I'll have like, nine pieces at one point and then I realize I'm spreading myself too thin and I'm struggling to kill anything because I'm bouncing around. Then I get down to my threes, like my sweet spot. Like I have three really good spots and then I really focus on one for the most part and then have these other two that I can float around to. If I'm one, just getting sick of it or not having, you know, luck in a certain spot, I can bounce these other ones. But then like all of a sudden I'll, I'll start getting confident and, and doing well in those. And then I start spreading myself out again. Then it comes back down. It's like this thing of, of going back and forth for me that, uh, I, 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 I still struggle with that, but I, my strategy is I try to have three pieces that I know really well that I run the majority of my cameras on and then have another two or three that are like test spots. Normally they're like newer spots or things that maybe I hunted in the past. I want to keep an eye on. I'll throw a couple cameras in there, but not like not have a, a real strategy around it. More of just let them soak and then see after the season if that's something I want to focus on the following year. As how, how's how's your strategy look for that? Yeah, like I'm very similar. Like I, 
I, I have like going into next season, I could pull up my maps and I have area A, B and C ish. And I don't want to give like descriptions of, as how far away all those are or if they're the same piece. But um, the other advantage I really have is I have Dave, Andy also hunting places that we've hunted and they're running, you know, so I get like four or five guys information as well that, that we've all hunted mixed somewhat the same ground. Some, some of it, I, I, I tend to branch off and, and Dave kind of goes about his, his method a little different. We do have a few pieces we really cross over on. Um, but yeah, like I do like to start with like the last couple of seasons, I cast my nets. Let's say I got three or four nets out there. Um, let's call them a thousand to 2000 acres plus or minus. And, and generally one of those I start honing in on come generally the rut. I, I think I've killed a few bucks late October and, and a lot more like November. I, I'm, I'm just a, that, that's my skill set or whatever, working on the early season stuff, just not there yet. But, um, that's how I've kind of decided is my Byron Horton strategy is cast a few nets and then narrow down based on scouting trail cams and, and just w- what the, the, the in-season hunts present itself uh, or whatever, what my intuition is telling me. No, I think that, I think that's a, I think that's a really good strategy and you explain that well. And, and one thing I want to clarify for like myself is, and you know, you were given like an acreage and I can't really give an acreage, but I'll have like a, an area like, so I'll have, you know, two or three of those main areas and maybe it might be a couple thousand acres or might be a thousand acres. And then I have three to five like main spots within those areas that are like my focal points. And depending on, you know, wind or or time of year or what they're doing or what I'm finding with say, if there's an area I've hunted for a while, um, I just talked about on this podcast with Ryan Glitzky the other day was like, Um, like if I know like doe groups that tend to bed in certain areas or come in at certain areas, like there's that spot I was just telling you about, like, I know that there's a, this crick cross, this crick cross and crick bottom spot that I can hunt from November the 6th through the 14th. And if I sit there every day that I'm going to have an opportunity at a good buck. But if I sit there any other time of the year or even in late October, it just doesn't it's never panned out for me. Maybe it could, but I just haven't had that experience. So I always have like these, you know, these notes of like certain areas get hot at certain times and I may bounce around at that, at that point. Yeah. I have the debate this year of, I was going over a a trail cam that I had pulled the other, or I don't know, it was, it was an SD card right here on the desk close. And I was looking through it and I was like, man, I was like this one buck who, who, who was, he, he'll be a stud next year. He's just got good genes. And, and like, he, he, I was like, he's killable. Like the ninth through the 14th. Like, I think he was there three out of those five, six mornings in, in flirting daylight in the morning. And, uh, you know, it's like one of those things that I, I'm starting to get my notes. And then I do have like what I call like a, a hail Mary, my, uh, my small piece. Um, uh, my dad, Bought, I think, 16 acres 10 years ago. That doe group, November 15th. Plus, I, I, plus or minus two days, like the trail cam data, I've killed a few bucks there. Like That's kind of nice because you're starting to get to the later half of November. And don't yeah. lie, as a deer hunter, you're starting to push the panic button. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm there right there with you, man. Dude, I won't, I won't even scroll on social media the first two weeks of November if I haven't killed. Yeah. <laughs> I like, like I will post a picture for whitetail experience, the brand. And I like try to shut the app as quick as I can, because 
man, is it is it tough? Yeah, and and you know what's funny is like I've found in Pennsylvania in a lot of my spots the some of the biggest of the big deer are killable in, in between November 14th and 17th um, in, in some of my areas. And and the, there's two things that go on with that. One, our season finally extended to be able to be able to hunt those dates. Before, it would always close around the, anywhere from the 12th to the 14th, and you kind of missed it. But now it, it extends there. But I also struggle with like, you know, wanting to wait that long or, you know, like just, I get into that panic mode a little bit at that time. Uh, you know, usually it's because like been hunting for, you know, during the rut, whether it was, you know, when I was off work or whatever for seven to 10 days and you're ready, freaking wore out and your mind's kind of playing tricks on you and telling you you suck and, you know, all those different things come into play. But, uh, I don't know. I just found those dates, uh, and, and some of my areas have been really good for it. And I know that fluctuates, but it's just kind of understanding, uh, your area and what, you know? Yeah. I would say now that I got a better trail cam arsenal, the last three, three years or so, um, I I look at it now as maybe I don't need to push the panic button because I have good bucks that, that, that are killable. Uh, one, I've been in more, almost like two vehicle crashes the week of Thanksgiving because, one was a hammer crossing the road and I was driving like 50 and two, I can remember one of the widest bucks I've ever seen, you know, was, it was just cruising. Uh, uh, so, so I, I will say that, that late November definitely can be a special time. And then even like December 5th, 6th, 7th, you know, you're kind of probably getting some of, some of the fluffs or whatever that go into heat. I, I, I can think of a couple trail cams where like, dude, if you have a trail cam picture of a fluff peeing in a scrape, like, December 3rd through the 7th, just hunt that thing the next three days because you get so many like just rogue bucks that clearly weren't there before. And there's not a lot going, there's not near the activity going on that just hold on, if you will, just hold on. They're coming. I, I, I agree too. Like it took me until I guess the last four years I've ran trail cameras through gun season here. It's a risk of getting stolen, but I was like, Man, there's so I, I want to know what's going on. And there's like I always thought gun season, like I'm a terrible gun hunter from, from the standpoint I look at like things tactically. And I felt like in Pennsylvania, most of the time you just got to play off of people and like literally throw you know throw something on a map and sit there. <laughs> but uh, I, I have learned that there is still a tactical approach that you can do to it. It's got to be different. But like la- those dates you just said last year was freaking bomb in a couple spots for me of a little doe kick came into heat in some like of the biggest studs in the area, even a new buck that never showed up even during the first rut or anything, you know, was coming through and hit a couple of my cameras th- on three different days in daylight in the heat of rifle season. So it's just like, you, you, I don't know, you learn so much as you run those cameras. And, and I, I guess I, I feel like I, I have a little more confidence later in the season now than I did even, you know, four or five years ago. But I'm I'm totally with you on that. And we both know it's easy to sit here. What is it? Uh, uh, early June and be like, oh, yeah, late November. We'll be fine. Yeah. But, dude, if it was like the 21st and you and I still had tags, we'd be like, oh, man. Yeah. Please something walk by me today. Oh, I know. I know. It's, uh, it's so easy to say right now where you're in the, you know, the mental state of uh, excitement rather than. Yes. Yeah. I, I, no, I get it a hundred percent. So what are you, what are you doing? What are you doing now as far as like in the summertime here to kind of prepare for whitetail season, like whether in the woods or at home, like what are you, what are you up to now? Yeah. Like I know you and Ryan G touched on it. I, I do uh, a decent amount, like a, a fitness oriented work in the, in the summer and more in the later half, I start rucking a lot more. 
Um, right now I'm just kind of standard workouts. The big thing right now, um, I only got three or four cams out and I will take a day or two over the next like month and a half ish. To me, I don't really care about pictures July 13th. I, I care about pictures September 13th. So I like to have maybe, I think I've got a camera arsenal of like, let's call it 25 ish plus or minus. Um, but I like to have at least 15 to 20 of those out in the woods with maybe like three or four back here at home base that, that as season goes off, I, I may deploy or whatever. Um, big fan of Johnny saying, dude, it, it, it's nice to have three cameras in your bag because you can deploy at the B minus spot and Lord be, I mean, that B minus spot sometimes is the best. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I like a couple cams at home to start the the year off. The other big thing, like I changed bows and I've shot the same bow for seven years or five years, six, I don't know. And so like, I'm learning, I'm just getting myself familiar with that thing. And, and obviously new, you, you know, I got a new site on there. I got a, um, just a new setup. So just becoming super familiar with it. it I know it's a compound to a compound, so it's not crazy, but like, and that old bow just it fit me to a glove. I'd had it for six years, so so I'm 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 shooting a little more, and I'm shooting some of the shooting drills, whether it be like the blank bail or like uh, the the hold pin on the dot as long as you can, and then let down. Um, yep. I think Fred Eichler has talked about that drill being a, a good one. So th- those are the two things that I got going on here in the next month. Now I did just wrap up. I did a little bit of food plot work and timber uh, cutting at my small farm. And I had a couple hammers there last year and I, that's been land of the one twenties. And so we'll see what plays out. And I may take my sister there and sm- there was, there was one deer living there early that I hope to put her on, um, like a one thirty eight, like just a heavy deer. Like it would be sweet. Cause she's, she's hunted like a couple days a year and only killed one buck in the li- or one deer in, in her life. Um, so I'd like to get her another deer um, for sure. So, yeah, trail cams, fitness, shooting that bow. Those are the three big things for the next uh, month and a half or two months. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm I'm in alignment with that too. And and also one of the things for me with shooting is like I shoot all the time in my yard, but getting more practice out of the tree. Like I'm going to, and I have not done this yet as it is early June here, but I'm going to be putting, I always like prepare super heavily for my Western hunts in September. And then it's like, I forget to shoot out of my saddle or shoot out of the tree and, and do those types of things. And that almost cost me my opening day buck last year. Cause I missed him at 14 yards. Cause I didn't do some stupid things like bending, you know, in the tree and, you know, and, and just things that are so elementary, but if you don't keep up with it and make that muscle memory hit, like you, it can ruin your opportunity. And I've always been a person that's like really big on the scouting aspect and creating those opportunities. But I've also struggled with capitalizing on them over the years uh, and not being able to finish at times. And that's something that I've really tried to put work in, you know, through the summer and, and doing that. So I, I, I like your approach there. Yeah, I remember you were on with uh, Kevin Vistas, and I don't remember if it was on your podcast or his, and you had talked about, like, are, are the long bombs of kind of the slider sites that allow you to do that, like, that's 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 a trend the last five, six years. Like, I feel like people, you can slide that thing down to, like, 65 yards, and I love shooting bombs, right? But, like, should we, as, as whitetail season approaches, set that thing you know, and I'm a big proponent of, of, of either two or three pins. Like, I don't 
I don't want to be like moving a, a pin if I see a deer at 33 yards. No, I want to know. I'm gonna pull up, shoot that 30 yard pin for one inch high. Um, but shooting those deer killable ranges being almost more important than than necessarily shooting the, them long bombs. I I think was an interesting point you guys were talking about on that podcast. Yeah, I I, I totally agree with that, and I st- I constantly remind myself about it. It's like, and even like when I go to shoot like. 3d um like they'll have 3d shoots around here and i'll go to do them total archery challenge is a different animal because <laughs> that's just like ridiculously long shots but like when you're like shooting local 3d courses is like trying to have like i shoot um a double pin um right now i'm the, the spot hog uh, fast eddie xl and i have a double pin on it yeah. and i'm gonna switch out some different sites this year and play around with it but i like to have at least two pins um, I'd like to be able to go to the three pin, like the sideways ones, but I just haven't, uh, I, I got so used to like falling that vertical pin up when I draw and, and do that. So like, I'm going to be messing around with some different things, I guess, from that standpoint. But what I'm getting at is leaving that fixed on a certain place and seeing how your bow reacts at different yardages you know leaving that 25 yard pin on and using that when you're shooting at 32 using that when you're shooting at 18 using that you know and and seeing how your bow shoots um and how you need to instinctively be able to aim with it and i really do that think that helped me a lot with when i actually shot my when i actually put the kill shot on that buck in pennsylvania when he bounced out and he was out a lot further and i was not dialed in but i just knew from instinctively from shooting it i just i walk around my yard and just toss arrows in random places and then go there and have to shoot from it kind of guess the yardage and be able to do that at the beginning i don't just guess the yardage i'll like guess it and then use my range finder and and just to make sure i'm not losing a bunch of arrows but uh that's that's something i feel like that has helped me out a lot and i but i need to continually do it more i think yeah, I think guys would be shocked. Like one of the best archers um, I knew, I used to shoot 3D a little bit more before I got heavily into the the, the elevated whitetail pursuit. And uh, the guy was at the range and he pulls out what looked to be like a caddy book, like a golfer would carry. And he literally had tick marks in there. He said, okay, uh, zero to 22 yards, top pin dead on. And then he's like 33 to 35 yards. He had a, a pin and he had his like hold two inches high. And I was shocked at the level of detail. And that guy won the state uh, a couple of years, but like that really made me want to know inside of 40 yards where my little holdovers were. And I think um, when I've trained for Western hunts, I get shocked at how much broadheads will move in the wind um, yeah. at a distance with a crosswind. Like there are a few things that you can do that, that, that you can do yourself a favor. If you, you know, a few of these better, like, I don't know, practice points, if you will. Yeah, I, I agree, and 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 that's actually one reason why I started uh, the wind portion of broadheads. Why I started carrying uh, mechanical in my quiver. Now I've I've shot fixed forever, and I just I uh, my second arrow is a mechanical. Whether it's a long follow up shot or like when I'm out west, and if it's windy and I have a longer shot, I just. I like to, that's just me personally. And and I've noticed that from windy situations and I want to reduce the, the, the chance of something going wrong the best I can. Yeah, no, I have heard uh, similar guys talk about that being a a good thing to have one mechanical. And I'm a fixed blade guy through and through. I like, if I haven't encountered this year, if you said it's quarter two, I'm 10 feet up in a tree and he's at 12 yards, that's going to be the encounter. Like, I feel like big bucks, like I, I do like to hunt low when, when the opportunity presents itself. 
it's like, I'm going to have to punch. And, and, and um, that's probably how it's going to be. But I know for a fact, I've, I've had follow-up shots. Like I, I can think of a buck where I was shooting 45, 55 yards where I'd hit him already. And like, clearly I should, I should follow up. I'm, I'm a firm believer in, and send them if you got them. Um, that, that having a backup mechanical is something I should probably do. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's just, it's, I don't know, just for me is something I started doing and, and also to open them up a little bit more too. Um, it's no doubt that mechanicals, you know, create a better blood trail. And if it's a follow-up shot, I just want to get an arrow in the body and be able to, um, you know, if I hit it the first time, obviously, but, um, that's just kind of, yeah, the approach that, that I've taken to it and, I don't know. I, I go back and forth on the whole what broadheads and that kind of thing pretty often. It's just, it's like get confident in what it is, know it flies true, and try to put a good shot. But I love those. I do love the fixed blades because I get into situations off the ground, whatever, that aren't ideal angles or situations, but I'm confident in what my arrow and broadhead combination is going to do. And that's, I don't know if that's it, but I, I'm a also a firm believer, like you said, if shooting until they're down like if i can see yeah. that deer and he's still alive like there's there's narrow i'm not like relying on oh he looks like he's gonna die no there's that new york buck i shot i pinwheeled him two two shot i might even put a third i don't remember but like he was like rolling down the hill and i'm still ready to go like i just <laughs> that's <laughs> that's just the way yeah. i am and i just don't want to don't want to lose him any any way possible so <laughs> yeah, Dave, Dave dubbed uh, what I called the climber buck. Dave calls my pincushion buck. Well, I'm shooting a new bow this year and I am pumped. After playing around with the buddies Hoyt RX8, the smile on my face made the decision for me. The first thing I noticed with the new Hoyts were their extremely smooth draw cycles and the ability to adjust the back wall to make it rock solid like I prefer. I outfitted my own RX-8 with the inline accessories that made installation extremely easy and balanced out the bow. My favorite accessory so far is a simple one. It's the Go Sticks 2.0 adjustable legs to make your bow like a tripod, but it doesn't interfere with any part of the bow or the limbs or anything like that. In addition, the integrated kickstand within the HBX Exact Cams protect your string from excess wear when you put your cam into the dirt. Ground hunting or spot and stock just got easier. If you want to experience what I'm talking about, head to your nearest Hoyt dealer and take a test drive yourself. You can learn more at Hoyt.com. The Mobile Hunters Expo is a consumer-based hunting show unlike any other. It provides an interactive learning experience where you can try all things mobile hunting and learn from the best in the business. Come experience an unbiased, community-based environment where you can improve your hunting skills and find the right equipment for your needs. I'll be speaking at the Nor'easter Show in Mannheim, Pennsylvania at Spooky Nook Sports from August 9th to 11th, 2024. So come check it out or either of the other shows in uh, Michigan and Georgia. You can purchase tickets online at themobilehuntersexpo.com or grab tickets at the door. I'll see you there. Uh, Because I kept, uh, I shot him up the hill from me and he was rolling and stumbling his way down towards me and I was right on a property line. And so like the last arrow was a field tip, but like I needed to, (laughs) I kept shooting. You kept shooting? Like, yeah, he, 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 you know, he did expire within 20 yards of the stand, but he, the initial shot was like 35 and he fell to like 20. I'm like, this is the biggest buck of my life. I was like, I missed my third arrow that hit like a stick. 
And I was sitting there and I had a field point and like, I could see like his heart chest area. And I was like, dude, I will kill myself if this buck gets up and runs off this property line. And I got a whole mess on my hands. Yeah. So I was like field point 22 yards. I'm going to send it. And uh, yeah. Yeah. Dave dub named that, that buck a pin cushion for me. Oh, that's, that's, <laughs> that's hilarious. I, I think uh, most of us have probably been, been there at that point. That's it. We always joke with my cousin about too. He, uh, he always is um, has an em- just about an empty quiver. Um, always a dead buck, but there's always a lot of arrows gone at that point. So, yeah. um, what what else as far as in the summer? Are you doing anything with gear or anything like gear prep? Like what what kind of things do you look at from that standpoint? Yeah, like I I don't play too much with uh, um, my climbing system. I I am um, I'm probably going to go to a, a slightly smaller stand, the, the 0.75. And, uh, I'll just rig that up. Now I will say, uh, something I do gear prep or mess with sometimes is, uh, uh, straps on, on a stand where I like, I'll take like right now I've got my QU bag. I took the, uh, the, just the straps off it and put them on, on a rig. And I've got a Moly attachment that I put on a secondary rig and, um, maybe some attachment methods. Sometimes I like to use like, uh, a J hook or, uh, um, gear ties, the, uh, the one I've found that I also really like is that Titan rubberized strap, um, which is like they, I think the ski, uh, industry uses them to keep skis together. Yeah. But, uh, so you can pull it tight and get a little tension on it and then dub it over. But I really like that to put doubles like horizontally on a stand. So I, I tinker a little bit with that, but it's more, I'm definitely not a guy doing Nader Schwader stuff all summer long. It's, it's, it's scouting is way more important than tinkering. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I wasn't sure how, how you kind of approach that, but, and then once you find things that work, it's hard to, hard to change it. There's certain things oh, I, yeah. I tinker with all the time. And then there's others. It's like, this works for me. Don't touch it. Just do it and go. That's, you know, that's, it's kind of been my method. When you said you were running some cameras, what are you running them on during the summer? So I, in, in summer, like, uh, the ones I'm putting out now, I'll put like a five minute delay, like a, a two or three shot, four shot burst. Um, and I, I like you, I have some budget cams that, uh, are, are subpar performance and I'm, I'm weeding those out at this point in my life. Like I'll buy two or three, um, cameras a year and replace maybe two that got stolen at more of the hundred ish dollar price point. Um, and so like my hopes is to, to, get rid of some of the, like the, the budget cams where the, the, the shots are a little blurry or the nighttime photos don't work, but yeah, I'll, I'll run them high on scrapes for the most part in the big woods. Um, any B minus type crossing hard trail is not a bad option, especially close to a road. When I scout, sometimes I mark easy trail camera locations because if I'm driving the road and can just run in the woods on a, a pretty good pinch uh, trail maybe it's a bluff, maybe it's a, um, a Creek crossing. If there's something that's semi close to the road, that's easy to do. I'm not opposed to put one there and then go to the good scrape. That's three quarters mile in uphill, both ways, blah, blah, kind of stuff. Um, edges, yeah. good trails around clear cuts, but five minute delay. And, and that's because I don't want the battery to burn out. Um, if I get a windstorm in the summer, yeah. Where, you know, it takes a thousand blanks. If it's on a 10, 20, 30 second delay, you get so many photos. And uh, I care about the September 13th photo, not the July 13th photo. Yeah. Um, oh, that's 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 a very good tip there is because like 
I get burned all the time on my cameras of things growing up or things, you know, blowing in front of the the lens and, and triggering it, or you don't have it just right. And you don't have your sensitivity set just right. And then all of a sudden something heats up and all these ferns start blowing and they're hot enough that it causes motion. And you have 2,500 photos of ferns going back and forth. And yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. I understand that. Yeah. And elevated sets, you just get a lot more airs. Because that everything that camera, it's working harder. You get a lot of errors, and it's very frustrating. Now, like if I was deploying a camera in September, I might set it to a one minute delay or a thirty second delay, and then obviously October fifteenth, anytime in October, if I'm putting it on scrape, give me that video mode. Um, yeah. Some cameras I have have SD card management, so I will use that setting in the summer. That will like keep the newest photos is the best way to describe that. Like it'll delete July 13 photos and keep October 5th, 10th. Cause sometimes I put it, yeah, sometimes I don't get to, I've had cams that I've set out in the summer and I may not touch until March. It just, if I get honed in an area B and all these cams are in area A, I'm not going to waste days driving and, and, and running around the woods of area A. Um, so, so yeah. And I, I've had those work for me. Like that setting, that combo works for me. So yeah, that's that's interesting. I I uh I should consider doing a little bit longer delay. Like I've always done the five minute delays. Like if I'm running them on minerals or anything else that I know that there's going to be a lot of activity there um, too. But usually on scrapes, I've done like a minute or less. But I've been burned a bunch of times with what you said, and I'm definitely going to consider changing that at least through the summer, especially the places that I know I'm going to get back to before fall. Because like in the fall, I'll run my on video and then like 15 second delay, just like in case there's a buck coming behind a doe and he doesn't make the first, you know, portion. But uh, yeah, it's, it's another point I want to mention that you brought up, I think is super cool is uh, the whole, like the B minus spots. And you just like all of a sudden go in and you, you, you're like, Oh, this kind of, you know, it's a heavy trail or like, there's no real explanation behind it. There's not like can't be like, Oh, I look for X and this many things happens. And it's not, it's not really easy to talk about on a podcast, but like I came across that yesterday when I was in the woods and I actually didn't end up throwing a camera there, but I really thought about it hard for like five minutes. I was like, there's not really a whole lot of reason, you know, on the map, it doesn't look that special. It's not an edge of anything, but just, lot of trails here and you know just look like a spot i might want to try out yeah no i'm a big fan of b minus cameras like you put it out you're like this is a b minus and then you'll pull like the three can actually biggest buck i know about to date i have him three times through this just hard trail on a military crest and i had three cameras within three or four hundred yards um in this section that never captured that buck and he went through there three three times in a month so he was in the, he was there. I mean, in the big yeah. ones, you get three, three, three occurrences in a month. You're like, dude, that mother effort is in there. Yeah. Um, and, and it was a B minus spot that I was just like, ah, I'm here. This pretty good trail. Yeah. And then the, the, the scrape and the hard pinch, like didn't, didn't find him. So yeah, I, I will say the biggest thing I learned last year on trail cams is in, in the habitats I'm hunting, mostly big woods. Cameras can be three, 400 yards apart. Like you could be in an orange uh, uh, hunting vest and be 10 feet up in a, a stand. I, I could visually see you. And those two cameras will get totally different groups of deer. And, and 
wild, you know, different counties of the state, different uh, floor to ceiling levels. But these like I can think of multiple scenarios where volume shooting is important, man. And I I couldn't agree anymore. And that's why I'd just keep upping my camera arsenal and keep trying to learn from them. There, that the buck that I ended up killing last year, same situation. I had, there's no joke, I had 13 cameras in that area, and I had him on one or two of them, and the, and some of them were 60 yards apart. Like that's, this is no joke. Like I'd never, I this is like a anomaly a little bit here, but like what you're saying about like cameras, like what I used to think could cover an area doesn't really cover. It doesn't mean you have to have all these cameras. I'm not saying that, but just know that you could still be in the game and, uh, or, you know, that if a buck might not be going as far away as you think, like there's so many times I'm like, Oh, that deer, he must relocate to the other side of the County. You know, once this happens or whatever, he might still be there. He's just not going in front of your cameras. Yeah, they, they capture, especially once you get elevated, they don't capture a lot. The day I killed my buck this year in Ohio, I had a trail cam. Like, I came up on this shelf, saw a deer in the dark. Like, this shelf is only 30 yards, 40 yards wide. Like, you could dang near cover the whole thing uh, with a bow. And I hunted that morning, and I think I visually saw eight deer, three bucks, um, and all three bucks were over 100 inches. And that camera never got a picture of a deer any of the deer I saw. And yet that spot was on fire that morning. Um, so, so I had somebody uh, uh, tell me that if you get multiple pictures of a deer, um, that's always like uh, in my book, that's always a notch up, but he goes, one picture means he probably walked by 20 yards of that camera three times. And mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, if you, if you start multiplying that out, you're like, he's in there a lot more than you think. I, I, I do think that that law, you need to have two pictures of him. Because one, you know, one rogue picture to me, it doesn't get me too, too excited. Yeah. Um, oh, and, it, and when you run those cameras on five minute delay, you instantly think there's way less deer in an area. <laughs> yeah, that's that's so true. You, you pull the SD card and you're like, ah, I only got X number of photos. And that's not as many as I normally get. Like you do have to kind of mentally calibrate that, I will say. Um, but yeah, I think that that's an interesting rule that, okay, if I have a buck on camera and at least more than one, one occurrence, he's probably walked by that camera two or three other times that it hasn't triggered. And that, that really makes you think, you know, he's in there. That, yeah, that, that is, that is a really good uh, thought process and being able to kind of like multiply that and see how it works. You know, if, if you had like, Oh, holy cow, this deer in the big woods, if you had a deer on camera three times in a week to say, it'd be like, Oh my gosh, like that deer, he's laying there. He's, he's laying behind my camera. That's like his tree, you know, he's bedding right there. That's, you know, the way I look at it. Cause it's different than other places uh, and yeah. being able to kind of multiply that across. And how many times do you get like deer in the backgrounds of photos or they might just be going just out of range that you don't be able to realize uh when when i shot that deer last year and i was just telling you about how i only had him on a couple cameras well i had a guy that was also hunting that area to say that apparently he was getting him on his camera pretty regularly um right before the season and then he saw the then he had a photo of me and the tracking dogs walking out and he's like well all right that <laughs> that's no good because <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't even uh i didn't even notice his camera but it was kind of funny that is funny but that is- you know and it wasn't that far away from me and i didn't and he was apparently getting this deer all the time where i you know i wasn't and it's just it's uh cameras 
say it all the time. Cameras are your best friend and they're also your worst enemy at times. Yeah. 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 I, I go back and forth on that, but like, I think now, like I've, I, uh, I acquired my cameras a little bit later and kind of had built up some other skills and like, even just running trail cams, you're, you're walking, you're seeing visual stuff. You may see a deer cross the road in the dark. That's like another huge tactic. Like I feel like is like just going to pull cameras. If you're there at daylight, summer, winter, doesn't even matter. You see a deer cross the road in the dark a few times in a certain area. Like that's huge. Oh yeah. Johnny talks about that all the time too. And, and I, I, yeah, I think that's, I think that's a really, uh, really unique way of looking at it and just looking at the woods or looking at everything, how you see it and just trying things. I mean, why not? And what you said earlier about running cameras close to the roads and spots that are easy to access to be able to get to them because of time. How many times do we like have these ideal locations that we can't get to or don't aren't able to check? Why not? Maybe that's a, C plus spot, you know, maybe that's what that is. And you just, you try it and then you, you can check them quicker. I like to do that during the summer. Cause I hate being out when it's freaking 90 degrees and humid and everything. Like I'll just run a bunch of cameras that are closer to road sometimes and that I can easily access or like back a gated road that I can mountain bike back and hop into the woods 40 yards and, and, you know, scoop it up. Yeah, because like I think like to walk a mile is 20 minutes on a treadmill. Now do that in the woods. Like you could have a a, a camera half mile. The time you walk in there, put your stick on the tree, angle it, get up and down six times. Like, I mean, you could you could hang one camera in an hour sometimes in, in these in the good spots. So so I'm all about like on my way to the good spot, stashing stuff uh, where I see fit. I, I think that's such a good tip like that. I think that uh, is something that that I don't do enough of. Um, but when I think of it, like it's 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 in and, and then it's like, OK, if you have extra cameras, like, why is it? It's not hurting anything. It's doing better than sitting at the house, I guess. Yeah. Save the good one for the scrape. But, y- y- oh, you know, yeah, that, that, that budgety. So, so Cam, you, you could stash that because it may walk off as well. So I, kn- I know you did a video on it and I haven't watched it yet, but what have you found like with those budget cams? Like what are, what are some that you found that work decent enough that you're willing to put in or are they like, what, what do you, what do you think? Yeah. So the, the, uh, and, and I get some feedback too from those videos. So, so I do have some additional that I need to look at is the, um, the wild view one. And I think Mr. Stewart runs a, a decent amount of those. I need to tap in and look at those as a potential to, to investigate, but I do deer hunting now at, at a, at a level where I want the better performance. And so that's, I have found a few cams, 70, 80 bucks that, that really will last you multiple years. And that, that right there is pretty valuable. And if you don't want video mode, you can kind of go, a different route. And I, I kind of like the video mode. So, so having something $70, $80 that it actually triggers pretty well. Um, the alpha cams, a couple of the Brownings, especially when you find on sale, dip into that range. Um, I haven't been a guy to fully trust the Tascos, although a lot of people comment in and I just, I do think it's kind of funny. Cause like, you'll see a guy rocking like a full first light outfit being like, yeah, run a tra- Tasco trail cam. And I'm just like, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I, I get it, dude. Those, 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 and my uncle runs a bunch of those Tascos and I'm just like, not in, like I do, I don't need like the perfect photo all the time, but like 
when it's like you're trying to figure out what it is, I can't go by that. And you can't, the video is not good on them, but it is, it is a thing like I get it. Not everyone can go out, including myself and get like a bunch of really good ones at one time. I have accumulated a lot of good ones over time, but like, usually it's like, okay, there'll be like three, like three shitty ones two decent ones, one good one. And and then as you go through and those other ones die off and you replace them with some better ones and, and be able to build that up until you're at the point now, like where I have, I'd say most of mine are pretty good. And, and then, you know, have still some of the shitty ones, but I just get so frustrated. I'd rather someone steal my camera than go in and, and not work after like just setting it up and can't get it to work. And it's just so frustrating to me. Like that Intel is so valuable that like, that's that, I think cameras is something that is something that I personally would invest more into or do invest more into than than uh, some other pieces of gear, I guess, because that Intel. Yeah. Now, um, and I'm like you, like I get super frustrated when they don't work. And so like the menu system operation has to be very cut and dry. Like I can't be guessing or putting in Morse code to a camera. Yeah. Um, so like I had a Moultrie that was like, I think I got with 72 bucks last year. I got an SD card and batteries and nighttime photos were actually some of the best out of my budget group that I tested, but the menu system didn't have like a full blown display in it. So it had abbreviated labels to what you were working in. And I was like, dude, I can't tell if this thing, like I could see an error where potentially I thought I put it in video mode and I didn't, or the time and date are wrong. Like, some of those things where I need it to be cut and dry. So I like a little better menu and display system um, on a camera. So, oh. so that is a factor with me. Yeah. like I, that, that was the thing. Like I used to run some cuttybacks, which I thought they took some of the best photos out of any cameras out there, but their menus that I had on them, I couldn't figure it out. Like I'm like hitting buttons, like tapping it twice. Like I think it went to this. I'm not really sure if it's taking video or photos or burst or whatever. And it was just frustrating. I don't know. Maybe they're way better now. I, like I said, I'm speaking on some older cameras, but like, it was just frustrating to me and I want easy to use and I want it to, to do what it's supposed to do. And I don't know, man, that's just, that's just, you know, I've, I've had like, I've had luck with the old, um, Bushnell trophy cams, like the ones that are almost like 10 years old now, like some of them are yeah. still running good for me. And I had, and my dad and I were buying them off of eBay for like 30 bucks and they were used and using them. And most of the time they'd have something that would go wrong with them. And my dad, he's an electrical engineer by trade and he just knew exactly what oh, each yeah. of them had fixed. And he'd get them for like 15 bucks when they wouldn't work and be able to fix every one of them. And that was nice to be able to add to the arsenal there. Um, but, but I still haven't found any of them that touch the video mode of Exodus. Like, there's, no. I just haven't found any that just, maybe there is, I have not tested all of them, but I've just loved the, the, the battery life that still works with video over, you know, thousands of videos on there. Yeah. The, um, I will say the Exodus burst is a little better than the Browning burst as a clarity. Um, I think the, I like the Browning video quality, but the lens is a touch tighter um, then the Exodus, the Exodus has a touch more fisheye reach. If you, I, yeah, I'm not, um, the, uh, the other thing I noticed after a couple of years of building a better camera arsenal is, you know, camouflage 
it, it does make those cameras disappear at that 30, 40 yard range from other hunters. Mm-hmm. And now I will even uh, touch up my mounting systems with, with some extra like uh, uh, rattle can spray paint. Like I will, uh, I, I use a lot of stick and picks. And so like that solid mount with a solid camera does stick out way more than if I take just even a little bit of sponge and some tan and break that thing up. Uh, I noticed my solid cams get stolen a lot more and cams on smaller trees get stolen way more because you could kind of grab that tree. If it's smaller than a basketball and like do a pull up or or get on them. Uh, If you set a camera in like a big round tree, nobody can bear hug and climb. No. So, so I have noticed that, that we get a little more theft on small, small trees. Yeah, it makes, and they do stick out so much more. Like I just put one yesterday in this giant tree that the strap was just long enough to get around, you know, and, and, uh, and it disappeared. Like I'd look at it and it disappeared for me, like even being at the scrape, it just like, you know, and it was camo. So it fit in a little bit there, but, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's a really, really good point. But I don't know. I don't have that many cameras get stolen. Luckily, uh, I've I go back and forth between putting them up high and lower. And recently, I've been going back to lower. Um, it's oh. probably one of those ebbs and flow things again. What I'm going to do because I haven't had any stolen, so I'll be getting lazy with it. But I also like I, I feel like I get more background stuff. Everything when it's a little bit lower. But you risk bears in Pennsylvania. That's a huge thing. Um, bears just destroy cameras if there's any sort of scent on them and then um also theft so that's they're all all you know good good points there i just i'd always get frustrated when i'd forget a stick and then my camera would be up in the tree and i'm like i gotta figure out how to shimmy up this tree and it's a it's a process and if someone was videotaping me it would be uh it would be pretty comical yeah i i put one screw and step in my backpack um that doubles as my bow hook most of the times too Mm-hmm. Because it's got dual functionality. And if you forget your stick, at least you could put one peg in a tree and maybe make it work. Yeah. Um, but but I, I, I have forgotten a stick a time or two. Uh, who hasn't? If you elevate cams, you, you've all yeah. been there. Uh, that's awesome. So how are you going to take this strategy and then turn it into like getting ready for the season? Like what's what's your next steps after, you know, your camera's there? Yeah. So I like to do card pulls. Um, Sometime in September, we opened the very last weekend in September and I will even go before work. I will pull cameras in the dark um, if I think I can find them. Um, I started doing this two years ago and I was like, wow, what an efficient use of my like work day uh, where it's not hunting season. I'm not burning PTO because I'm a working guy. Um, The wife isn't too mad because she's still asleep by the time I'm back, you know, at work or working from home that day that you know, I've pulled two cameras or three cameras in the dark. Um, so I will do a big card pool. Uh, like I said, in September, I need to know if, if, uh, there's three bucks. I need to know if they're back, maybe even four. Um, there, there's three that are, will be a little bit higher caliber than average. And then if, if none of those three show up, it's like, okay, I'm going to start the season in like the highest shooter percentage where if I've got two or three bucks, Work in an area that 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 tickle my fancy. I'll go there over hunt and say one buck that maybe uh, a touch better, like four or five inch or five to ten inches bigger. I'm all about like the volume. Like I want to consistently kill, so I feel like having three bucks is better than one buck. That's just uh, now if he's a mega mega like a couple of these that I've hinted around, then I need to I need to pursue the mega megas. But but if they're all within 
uh, a certain parameter, I'm going to go to the highest percent area. And that's, that's where I start hunting. Mm-hmm. Um, I will, uh, and generally the, the hope is I've got the, the oaks marked, I've got the scrapes marked, I've got tentative bedding. The hope is then through hunting, scouting, spending time in that area, I kind of start figuring out the puzzle of, of what that deer is doing. Um, and if I ever feel like it goes cold or, or I, I, I still will pull cameras and scout maybe like a touch early on a Saturday, I'll go to area B, scout it out, maybe pull a card or two. And if, if, if I don't discover anything worth going, okay, back to area A where I know what's going on a little bit better. Um, oaks is another thing too. I kind of late August, I'll start glassing and noticing more oaks on certain areas. Um, and I, I need to wind map some of my areas a little better. So that's a, that's something else on my to-do list in that September, August time period. That's a, yeah. a work project for the last couple of years. Yeah, it is. And it's always, it's, it's always easy to forget to do it too. I mean, I, I still do that too, is like when you're in a spot and you find it and then you get, you get back and you're like, oh shit, I should have, uh, I should have dropped some milkweed there and kind of played around with it and, and, and figured it out. Like that's, that's totally, uh, totally yeah, like reasonable. In a, in a bull system, I was hunting heavily in late October, uh, even early November and like had some good hunts. I realized, so I went in there like September 12th to go pull some cams. I noticed on a path that I was walking, I was like, dude, there's a shit ton of oaks. I'm in there in the dark and it's a low wind day. I'm like, dude, this, this, this flat is hot. Like it's raining. I, I've seen a deer in the dark and, um, but I didn't realize until like October 15th after being in this section for, oh, four or five times that the wind tended to blow South it, for whatever reason in that bowl system. And so my approach, even though I was coming low and working up to, to my hunting area, I actually needed to walk a totally easier hillside, stay flat, stay high because that was just the, the route. I think going in where I was, I was just blowing deer out most of the times. And, uh, huh. that literally just came from spending time there and noticing, Hey, I got a South wind today. That seems odd. And then two times in, uh, later, I'm like, it's South again. And it, I swear it's supposed to be North at 12 miles an hour, like a pretty good North. And, and so I started just putting that puzzle piece together. Um, so yeah, wind scouting is something I'm, I'm, I've been a little lazy on in the, in the, or just newer, newer too. maybe not necessarily lazy, just newer. Yeah, no, I, I think that's, that's so important because every spot's different. It's, you know, you have the rules of thumb and then you have to figure out exactly what it's doing <laughs> in those, yeah. in those places. It's, you know, I find spots that are hemlock hillsides that always go down that wind that the thermals always pulling down all times of the day, except for when it gets so cold that that actually acts as a blanket underneath there. And then it starts pulling it back up, but it's, oh, wow. yeah. And that's, that was interesting to me is like, I always had a setup on the bottom side of the trails that I was trying to shoot to, um, where you're almost at eye level with the deer. So it's important to be on that back side of the tree and, you know, trying to find a little clump to get into, but, uh, and, and you don't know that except for being there. I couldn't look at a map and tell you that that's what it was going to be. Uh, you know, you it's, I think it's important to do that ahead of time, but confirming is, is, uh, another level. Yeah. Yeah. So I, in the past, oh, this off season, anytime I'm in a place, I put like a, an access type pin at, at the top of the mountain. Generally, uh, if I'm looking at it or a bowl system, and I'll just leave a, a note that says when, you know, West wind today, blue X, um, or maybe a note about a thermal, like, um, 
like wind was out of the east, it blew to the east and rips down this this uh, this uh, hogback because it's a little cooler or whatever in it. Um, so I've been I've been doing a little better at, at, at leaving those notes to hopefully. I still think it's going to bounce and, and shake and move on on different hunts, but like, can I be right sixty percent of the time instead of thirty? That yeah. could be huge. That's that's that is huge. That is huge, and and that's and and the wind is now it's always going to do something. Not always, but it's going to do things differently than you want. And it's like you still got to hunt. Like I'm not getting down for um, a wind that shifts for five minutes a certain direction or whatever. Like sometimes you're going to have that and and you, you screw it up and you learn from it. But um, and the, we're talking about writing the notes in your pen. Like that's so crucial. And that has been the, the one thing that, that I've pushed for and has been a part of like w- with using the Spartan Forge app recently is that journal entry and you can make it drop a pin, but it shows you what the weather is supposed to be there and then what my notes are and you can compare it. Oh, wow. like, so like it automatically logs the weather when you put that pin in there um, and you can backdate it if you didn't do it until later, but, and then, go, sure. and then you can compare your notes. It's like, okay, this is supposed to be a Northwest wind but I was seeing a heavy South wind, you know, out of that spot. And then maybe it's more complicated than that, but at least you have that reference point to remind you of that and, and be able to figure it out. Yeah. That's some huge functionality. If it automatically syncs some weather, that's, yep. that's, that's huge. I didn't know it did that. Uh, um, that's a good, uh, good plug there. Yeah. But that, no, definitely. That's cool, man. I'm excited to see. I'm really excited about the season in general. Just I am every year, but like I'm starting to get fired up as, as you know, bucks are starting to grow and, and just like, you don't know. You blink, it, it'll be here. Um, now I like the fact, so this year I don't have a Western hunt and like, it's kind of nice to just be focused uh, uh, this year. And, 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 we have baby number two dudes. So this is probably just a one buck, one mission, Ohio only. Like it's kind of nice. I, I will say I have felt in years past that the, the Western thing takes my PTO down a t- tremendous amount. And then, um, you know, there's a little bit of a, a loss of scouting there in that mid September, which, uh, I really want to kill an early season buck. One of these years I've been very close. No, I have not been very close. That is a dead lie. <laughs> I, I, I was like, oh, I've been close. And I was like, no, because close to me you, means you were like in the tree and he was walking by and he walked by yeah. and he had 40 yards. And I'm like, no, your trail cams tell you you were close. You haven't been close, close. Yeah. I, like, I don't want to BS anybody. Like, I was 24 hours behind like a few bucks last year. And I was like, oh, I'm close. I was never in the tree stand as he was breaking sticks, walking in. No, that, that to me is close. <laughs> well, that's, but that is another good point that you brought up with, uh, the whole Western hunting thing. Like I, I know the last two years I've hunted either early September or I delayed August when I was in Alaska. And that gave me a few weeks before season to prepare and helped a lot. than when I was hunting in 2019, I hunted Idaho up until the weekend, basically that our opener was, and I felt lost you know like because no, yeah. i because i didn't have any of that scouting before that and even like you know the week or two prior i was so focused on getting ready for that hunt that i wasn't spending time in the whitetail woods and to, for the early season game you got you got to be on point with it you really do and like i do feel lost in the woods until like october 20th because i just i don't burn much pto um i don't press the issue with the family life as far as being gone 
But it's like, dude, once once October 15th hits, I start burning like a little bit of like two hour shifts of PTO and just even getting some scouts in. Yeah, I don't even have to get in the stand. And sometimes I will bring the bow and, and, and be on the ground. But it's like when I can pair, I was talking to Dave about it this morning. If you can get in the woods three out of five days, like you, you feel so much better about what's going on, seeing X, Y, and Z, putting puzzle pieces together that, that, uh, I think that's one of the factors of, of, of early season for me is I, I just do not have the best bead when the gun goes off. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think that, well, this year I'll have some more time luckily. So I'm, I'm planning on trying to, to put more time into figuring that out early season. And, and well, you killed last year early. Y- yeah. But yeah, that, that was opening day, but like that would, but that's a, an anomaly for me, I guess. I don't, I don't typically kill early. Like the last time yeah. I'd killed that early was I never killed an opening day buck, but I killed one the first week, like in 2014, you know? And so, and then I, I did in 2013 too, but those were like, other than that, I've been like a November hunter because that's when i had my time off and that's when i focused on it and it now with with having a little bit more time to to focus on that i want to just i want to test myself a little bit and see if i can can do it again i guess so we'll see nice nice that's that's a cool goal to have uh i i hope you do it again Uh, and then would you bounce to another whitetail state or yeah i would have to yeah i can't i (laughs) i I can't i can't sit still for too long during whitetail season like that but i when you were talking about like bouncing around and like you just focusing on ohio you know i i feel like number one question i get asked now that i'm doing this full time is like where where are you going how many states you gonna hunt it's like i'm not hunting a lot of states like i it might, I mean, I'm going to hunt Montana for elk and then deer around Thanksgiving a little bit because my brother lives out there and go spend Thanksgiving oh, okay. with him. But anyways, other than that, it's Pennsylvania and I want to spend a little bit of time in West Virginia. I was like, I'll figure it out on the fly if I end up killing something early in any of those places. Like I need to focus. I need, I, I like that. I like the, when I feel like I'm like stretched thin, like when I was well, every season up to this point, I've been working and taking time off for it. And I tried to do Pennsylvania and Ohio and New York. And I'm like, I just felt like I was chasing my tail and I never like gave a state or a place like it's full potential that it needed to. And as you know, big woods hunting, it doesn't happen very often in a short amount of time. It takes a lot of time. Yeah, I would say five, three and five years ago, we, we would go out of state to like Indiana, Kentucky. Like we'd go like October 17th for like three days and don't get me wrong. Cool trip, memorable to be, you know, Dave's got a cool wall tent. We get the deer camp vibes, but like, as far as an efficiency, if I scouted for two days around the 17th of October, that puts me in really good position, October 20th on a cold front. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think the craze used to be when THP was going places, killing bucks. Everyone was like, oh, I want to travel and hunt and kill big bucks and be Tony Peterson. Yeah. Um, or Andy May. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Andy's, uh, a, Andy's a different story. He can do this. Yeah. The, yeah. 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 That is very true. But and like, Tony. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Tony. Yeah. Geez. But now it's like, okay, let me kill one good buck in my home state. And then I can can go to another state because I've now I've scouted and hunted some other states and and had success. Um, that's always the 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 backup. Like I'll get to it if I want to, kind of thing. But I've I've very much wrangled in like let's focus here. Let's let's kill a good caliber buck here. Um, that that's the focus. 
Yeah. And for me, it's like, I'm spending time in the woods either way. So it doesn't really matter. Like just do whatever makes you feel good. And for me, I I feel better when I have more time to just put towards a specific goal. So no, I, I'm excited for you. Sounds like you'll have a, have a good year and be able to focus in on one and keep that streak rolling along. Oh yeah. 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 We don't talk about the streak among the, the, the crew. Um, I've had some good fortune here in the last, I don't know. And, uh, yeah, I really, if a couple of them hammers show up, that could be an interesting year. Um, we shall see. <laughs> well, anyways, uh, Byron, where can people find, uh, some of your stuff? We talked about it early, but give yeah. people where they can follow along with some of your stuff and, and check it out. Yeah. Uh, uh, whitetail experience. I would tell people the YouTube channel is like the core of what we do. Um, it's a black and, uh, orange, white logo there. Same thing on Instagram. Uh, there, there's some stuff there as well, but I would say those two things, uh, that those are the main areas that, that I feel like we, we strive to, to do well at. Awesome. Well, everyone, I hope they go check that out and, uh, watch some of the, watch some of the films, the recent years there, you'll, you'll get what I'm talking about. Byron and the teams tell, they tell a very good story. And I think it's, uh, it'll get you fired up for deer season. Thanks, Bo. Appreciate it, man. All right. Thank you, buddy. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.